You know, for lots of people, uh, trust falls are the things of middle school nightmares. Lots and lots and lots of middle schoolers, and yes, high schoolers, and even adults have subjected themselves to, quote, the ultimate trust-building experience. Now, if you're not familiar with a trust fall, uh, allow me just to take a minute to explain what it is. A person climbs up on a small wooden platform, usually like five or six feet in the air, and once on said platform, you turn around so that your back is turned towards the scrawny-armed classmates or colleagues who are waiting on the ground to catch you. Now, you slowly and you methodically scoot closer to the edge, back-facing all of those young people, which is troubling, actually, because you're sure that the people who are supposed to catch you have the mental and emotional capacity of a gnat, right? You, you are entrusting your whole life into the hands of classmates who would rather dig deep for a crusty booger than go and get a Kleenex, right? Nothing about the situation seems good to you at all. And yet, the instructor on the ground assures you, assures you that everything's going to be just fine. That those people will indeed catch you when you fall. To trust their word. Once that happens, you, when you are ready, of course, you count to three and you fall backward off that platform. Now there on that platform, six feet above the ground, <laughs> most of us begin to perspire from pores that we didn't know we had. You, you are sweating from every pore in your body. Your heart is sitting in the middle of your throat. Your mind is racing with worry about the lack of brawn in the arms of those waiting. You see, there on a wooden platform, you feel worry and anxiety and fear. And it's in the midst, interestingly, it's in the midst of that anxiety and that worry and that fear that you begin to hear a voice. The voice of the instructor who continues to assure you that you will be caught, that you can trust them to be where it is you're going to fall, and that you can have faith that all things will be well. Now, when, I, when I've stood on that wooden platform, I became very aware of a war that was raging within me. It was a war between faith and fear. And it's in the middle of that war, interestingly enough, in a grace-filled moment, that fear gives way to faith. And you fall backward, trusting the instructor's word to be true. And in faith, you fall into the waiting arms of a community of other people whose own journeys, I suspect, with faith and fear are much like your own. You know, my observations is that faith and fear, they, they, they sort of live on a sharp edge together. They seem to me to always be in tension and it's in, interestingly, it's into that tension, into the middle of that tension that Jesus continues to instruct the disciples in what it means to be on the way. So, 
We're going to look at this teaching of Jesus together. It's Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 22. You want to grab a Bible, paper, digital, the one you brought, the one we provide. I don't don't really care, but let's go together uh, to Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 22. Now, as, as you're getting there, remember all the way back, right, all the way back in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. He is resolutely set out to accomplish the mission for which he was sent, Uh, namely to rescue humanity from sin and from death and from the devil, to bring liberty, to bring whole body healing, to bestow on his people life and life to the full. Uh, Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 8. He says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, Jesus has set his face. He has resolutely set out to rescue humanity. Now, we've also been learning that Luke chapter 12 is is basically an extended teaching of Jesus on what the life in the way looks like. If you want to know what the life of a disciple or what the life of a follower of Jesus should be, Luke chapter 12 simply explains it. Now, if you've been with us, we've been learning several things. I'm going to try to recap these very quickly. What have we learned thus far about being on the way with Jesus? There are three things. The first one is this, that our insides and our outsides should match, right? Uh, What do I mean? I mean that our internal beliefs should match our external behaviors. Jesus is teaching that if you're going to be a follower of him, the internal beliefs have to match the external behaviors. That's number one. Uh, The second thing that we're learning is that we shouldn't fear physical harm or even death. I'll say that again because that catches us off guard sometimes, right? That we shouldn't fear physical harm or even death. But rather, Jesus says, we should have a healthy and a godly fear of the one who can and who will judge our soul and who, by his power, can condemn that soul to hell for eternity. The third thing that we're learning is that our possessions have purpose. Uh, Not necessarily for our own pleasure, but those possessions have purpose for loving God and other people well. That we should steward our time, our finances, our intellect, our resources, our assets to the good and the well-being of others around us. And in doing so, Jesus says, you will be rich toward God. So those are the three things we're learning, and that's where we left off last week. But this morning, Jesus once again sort of turns his attention toward the disciples, and he gives what I believe is really just a more detailed or more kind of lengthy commentary on what he has just said to the crowd. And again, Jesus is now turning to the kind of internal things of us more than he is to our external behaviors. So uh, let's look at it together. This is chapter 12, verse 22. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. 
Now, church, truth be told, when, when, I, when I read things like this, when I read these kinds of things from Jesus, I actually get why people think Jesus is antiquated or irrelevant. Like Jesus clearly, he clearly doesn't get it. Like Jesus honestly wants us not to worry about our lives. And when I read this, I I get why people think he's irrelevant. It just doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, People would often say like, well, the time is just different, right? Our world is so much crazier than the world of Jesus. He he clearly doesn't understand my life. He's he's not looked at my life. He, He doesn't know what it is we have to deal with. And at some level, that, that, that may be true. Life is hard presently, and it is difficult, and there are lots of worries and anxieties and fear. In fact, I was, I was just reading a story this week that there are many families who, because of inflation and because they have limited assets or their income is restrained, they are now making their kids skip meals for a day so that their money can go further longer. So can you imagine right, having to tell your 14-year-old, buddy, listen, uh, you don't get to eat today. Uh, you get to eat tomorrow when your sister won't. And just so we're clear, this article is not about what's happening in developing countries. This is an article of what's happening in Michigan. And I suspect what's happening in our community as well. Don't worry about life, Jesus says. Right. Have you seen kids? (laughs) Some of us are just praying, right, that our kids get through adolescence without killing themselves or others. We have worries. Don't worry about your life. Right. Some of us are saying, Jesus hasn't seen my mom. But her, her well-being, she's the shell of the woman she used to be. Don't worry about your life, Jesus says. Right. Not seeing my kids who are hanging on a kind of a mental health string. Don't worry about your life, Jesus says. Right. I don't have reliable transportation to get to and from work. Don't worry about your life, Jesus says. Good church, I, I get it, actually, that when you read things like this, it feels, it feels like Jesus is antiquated or irrelevant, that he, that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And yet, Jesus, interestingly, with rhetorical flourish, actually presses deeper. Uh, this is verse 25, right? Jesus says this, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Now, clearly, we all know that stress and anxiety and fear doesn't add years to our life. Uh, In fact, we probably know that at a gut level that those things like stress and anxiety and fear and worry, they actually make us age faster. Uh, There's a reason that there are gray hairs in my beard. Why? It's not my kids, it's you, church, right? Like I stress out about you're doing this to me. This patch, that's you, Jim Klusterman, right here, buddy, right? 
We, we know, right? We know at a gut level that these things, it actually moves our age faster. Now, a study out of Yale University agrees, actually, that chronic stress and anxiety and fear moves the body's biological clock. Both at a molecular and chemical level, it moves it forward, shrinking your life expectancy. The Finnish Institute of Health and Welfare, they did a similar study, and they agree. And through an experiment, estimate that your loss of life is 2.8 years. It's interesting. Worry doesn't get you more. It gets you less. Now, my guess is, my guess is you don't need me to tell you this that worry and anxiety and fear and stress, right, it's all just a part of life. And yet, Jesus says, do not worry. Now, church, what I'm going to say next, what I'm going to say next, uh, it's, it's going to bite. It's going to it's going to hurt. In fact, I, I wrestled long and hard this week as to whether or not I should say it at all. Uh, you, can, you can ask Aaron, you can ask Pastor Adam, you can ask Jim, you can ask Karen. I had a conversation with all of them as we're trying to figure out this. Uh, but in the end, in the end, just because something hurts doesn't mean it's untrue. And in the end, just because something hurts doesn't mean it's untrue. So, here it is. Worry and anxiety and fear, it is sin. It is the abject failure to trust God above all things. It is the evidence that our trust often lies in something or someone other than God. Uh, this is truth, and it's a hard truth, an abiding truth, but nevertheless, it is true. When you and I carry around worry and anxiety and fear, when our hearts and our minds and spirits are weighed down by the things of life, it reveals our idolatry. Now, I want to be clear. I want to be very clear. Because I think that when most of us think about sin, we think of willful sins, of the things that we do, the behaviors that we do, whether, whether consciously or unconsciously. But in either case, we tend to think most often of our behaviors and not of our being. You see, we easily forget that we are born into the condition of sin. We are born into a condition of brokenness and that we carry this brokenness around in our person. Not only do we commit sins, but we are sinners. It was a parting gift from Adam and Eve, whose disobedience is like a disease in our own blood. 
Now, why do I think this distinction between willful sins and behaviors and condition matters? Well, I think for many of us, we feel like worry and anxiety and fear are just a part of who we are. It's just in us. We're not, we're not willingly choosing to fear. We're not willingly choosing to be anxious. We're not willingly choosing to worry. It's, it's just in us. Friends, worry and anxiety and fear are a part of the broken and fallen creation. It is a part of the condition of sin. And you and I, we will carry it around in our persons until we see Jesus face to face. This also is true. And so, where does that leave us? Because honestly, it probably, it probably for you, just like it is for me, it feels like a war happening inside. Between faith and fear, it feels like we're stuck on that, on that small little wooden platform waiting to fall into the arms of the people who are waiting, and yet we're writhing in fear to be able to do so. Well, Jesus… Jesus invites his disciples deeper. And friends, this matters, I think. It matters deeply for you and me, especially in today's culture. So here's what Jesus wants us to do when we feel worry and anxiety and fear take over. You ready? He wants us to look at birds and flowers. I know, it sounds like a hippie Jesus. I I get it, but he wants us to look at birds and flowers. Well, why? Well, to, to look at birds and flowers, the first thing we have to do is slow down. To be an observer of lilies and ravens, you have to slow down. Well, today, uh, this culture, certainly, we are running at a frantic pace. The tempo is almost unbearable. There's never enough time. We're always short on it. And there's always fear and stress and anxiety and worry. The first thing Jesus is saying is you, you have to slow down a minute. And then I want you to observe the birds and the flowers. Uh, Jesus says it this way. He says, look at the birds. I want you to look at the birds. Look at the ravens. Uh, They don't sow and they don't reap. They don't have barns. They don't have storehouses yet. And here it is. And this is important, church. Ready? Uh, God feeds them. God feeds them. Jesus wants us to slow down and see that God is at work presently and actively to provide for our needs. To slow down and see that God is at work presently and actively to care for our needs. 
He says, I want you to look at the flowers. They don't labor and they don't spin, and yet they have more splendor than Solomon, who, as the richest man of his time, lived in opulence like none other. Why? Why do I want you to look at flowers? Because God clothes them. God clothes them. He wants us to look at the flowers, to slow down and see that God is at work presently and actively to care for our needs. See, Jesus' invitation to his disciples, to you and me, to followers of Jesus, is to slow down so that we can see a God who is present and active in the world as a father who loves to provide for his children. Uh, More to the point, in verse 31, uh, Jesus says this. He says, seek the kingdom. And all of those things, all the worries of clothes and food, of life, all those things will be given to you as well. See, Jesus' invitation is for the disciples to seek the, the king-ing of God, the active, present rule of God, and to live under that rule, to trust that he does provide. This is, by the way, how Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because as Jesus says in verse 32, listen, he says this, little sheep, don't be afraid, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Father wants to dote on His children. It is His good pleasure to provide for you. See, the Father proves His love for us and His want to provide for us, to give us what it is we need, to cure us from our ills, to liberate us from our sin, to save us from our worry and our anxiety and our fear. He proves it, and it's seen most clearly in His one and only Son, who took on flesh, becoming human in every way, enduring every kind of temptation, and yet was perfect in obedience to his Father, who would set his face toward the cross. And there, interestingly, on an instrument designed to humiliate its victims, Christ is raised in victory. Victory over sin and death and worry and anxiety, all of those things put to death on a cross and then buried in a tomb for all time. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead, you and I might rise to new life, both here on earth and in the new heavens and the new earth with Jesus forever. You see, the work of Christ in death and resurrection and ascension not only saves us from the behaviors of sin, but it also liberates us from the condition of sin. See, our Father doesn't want any of this for us. He he doesn't want us to worry, to be anxious, and to have fear. He wants us to rest in Him, confident that His Word is truth. He wants us to stand on a small little wooden platform and to hear His voice, the voice of our instructor, our rabbi, our teacher, our savior. He wants us to hear his voice and to trust that his word is good, to trust that his word is truth, that you can fall into his arms and he will be there to catch. 
And friends, we also, we also need the community of faith. We need one another in this journey. Even, even if we don't have lots of brawn in our arms, even if our mental capacity is like a gnat, we need one another to remind each other that God's Word is true. You see, faith, faith is best stoked within the context of a community of faith with other sojourners, with other people whose war is waging between faith and fear. It is Christ through the work of His Holy Spirit who instills and fuels our faith. See, the Good Shepherd, He cares for His sheep. He cares for you and me. He cares for this flock of faith. Little sheep, he says. Don't be afraid. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, church, in this life, we're going to have lots of opportunities, I suspect, to stand on a little platform where fear and faith will be on a sharp edge. Lots of opportunities as we live out this life on earth where there will be a war between faith and fear, where they are pulling and pushing against one another. And in those moments when we're standing on that little wooden platform and a war raging in, there will be moments when the fear and the anxiety and the worry win. when faith will give way to fear. And in those moments, Jesus is inviting us to recall, to slow down and to see that God provides for us even in this. And there will be times, church, when we're standing on that little wooden platform with a war raging inside of our souls, when we will hear the still small voice of our Savior the psalmist who says, be still and know that I'm God. We're standing on that platform and we hear the voice of our teacher and our instructor who says, I've got you. You can trust me. And in a dazzling moment that only grace can make happen, fear will give way to faith. And when that happens, church, we get to celebrate as brothers and sisters in Christ. So we encourage one another in this journey. Church, I, I, I think trust falls can often be the things of nightmares. But trusting to fall into the arms of a Savior is always, it is always a win. To God be the glory. Amen? Amen? And so, may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and always. Amen.